It's a business that hasn't got a clear point of difference, hasn't got a particularly good focus, hasn't got good business information systems. People haven't got a sense of purpose, measurement, motivation, training. Stock's out of control. The business owner can't tell you what sales come from, what product, at what point, what place. It's a business that is largely dependent on the owner. That's always a business that is problematic. It's a business that's not setting itself up to be scalable. And it's a business that doesn't communicate to its market because it doesn't know its core market, doesn't have good category mix and can't tell you precisely where the cash is coming from, where the sales coming from. Hi, I'm Brian Walker, CEO and founder of Retail.com. And you're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network Podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network Podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PBCN Podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. The Christmas season is well and truly upon us. Pre-Christmas sales are forecast to hit $60 billion in the six weeks leading up to Christmas, and that is a staggering figure. But as the silly season approaches, have you considered how you will activate a retail strategy to keep more margin in your pocket this sales period? Our guest today is CEO and founder of Retail Doctor Group, the Retail Doctor himself. Established in 2005, Retail Doctor Group is a leading firm working with businesses to take insights-driven strategy into award-winning implementation, helping them grow their business. Today, we examine what it means to be fit for business and why it's an important consideration for all businesses with a retail component, which obviously includes pharmacies. We look at how to complement your health and wellness services medicines advice and your focus on medication management and safety with products that build your brand as trusted medicines experts. Here's Brian. Brian, welcome to the show. It's great to have you joining us because it is a busy time of the year out there in retail land because it's a lead up to Christmas. So what better time to speak to a retail expert such as yourself. And so to kick us off, tell us a little bit about what you do at Retail Doctor Group. Hi, Daniel, and to your listeners, great to be with you. We are a business that builds business channels, business networks. We call it business fitness, but we are three parts. We are insights, which is research, and we have consumer market, digital, and so forth. Um, And we have certain methodologies that we use, including something called Limbic, uh, which is a neuroscientific approach. Uh, We build strategy for companies, often based on those insights, and that involves workshopping through the strategic papers. We do series on the future of retail. Uh, We use a lot of that work. And then finally, we are implementers of strategy. So we have a strong retail operations pedigree and we have that both in terms of physical consulting and advisory and coaching, but also in online programs. So those three elements make up who we are. Uh, Clients come to us when they want to build greater performance in their retail business or their franchise business. Uh, or in fact, they want to build their what we call retail ecosystem. So that's essentially us, uh, insights-driven performance. <laughs> very interesting. Sounds very, very busy. And I just want to pick up on something you mentioned when you, you say you talk about business fitness, because I want to get straight into the idea of being fit 
for Christmas in the pharmacy and, and have a look at a few examples of what that actually means, practically speaking. So it'd be great if you could run us through some examples of maybe past clients or retailers that you have observed doing really well at this who have been fit for Christmas. Well, it's a great question. I mean, you can approach this from any angles. Christmas from a retail point of view is also changing in its timing. It sort of starts around this Black Friday weekend. We're about to start now. It makes, all its, way, it makes its way all the way through to uh, Boxing Day and post-Boxing Day sales. And for Australian retail, if I talk generally, it's about a $60 billion spend. So for many retailers and for many pharmacies in terms of their retail product, it can be 30 or 40% of the year within that, within that window. So it punches above its weight. We've worked with oh, thousands now of retailers over the years because we've been in business for about 17 years. And they're from you know, large service businesses through to retailers, through to franchises. Um, and so to your question about who does it well, well, I guess one way of answering it is that when I started the business all those years ago, I likened the human body to the KPIs of retail. You know, blood pressure became cash and, and uh, cash flow. And sales sort of became this concept of general respiration, as bizarre as that sounds. And essentially, the business fitness is all about the interrelationships of a retail business and how to get that to maximize efficiently. And so we have a program, for example, that's broken up into modules. And each of these areas from point of difference, you know, good retailers, fit retailers have a pretty clear point of difference. They own a category. They own, you know, it could be compound in pharmacy, for example. They're known for it. They differentiate for it. Uh, their shops are appealing. They have an online offer. It's appealing. It's consistent with their point of difference. So fit retailers, in that sense, are high-performing retailers, and and they tend to start with a few commonalities of all these interrelationships. Um, first of all, above all, they have a, a unique point of difference. They have a USP about them, something different, and it can be typically in product, it can be typically in category, pharmacy, it might be in compounding or something similar, and they're known for something. And then they have a good way of displaying it, promoting it, communicating it, including all the classic things from physical retail displays through to social media, through to online. Um, and they've got a particularly good way of communicating above and below the line on that uniqueness. Then they're very good with their people. So they've got good common goals, good purpose, good metrics in the business. Everyone is pretty well trained. They're pretty good at what they do. They know how to sell. They know how to serve. They know how to build that business. Then they've got a good working capital model. So they understand inventory, stock. They understand where their sales come from. They understand the mix of sales. They understand where their profit comes from. They understand what their working capital is in terms of stock turns, sell through, all their inventory ratios. They know their, their physical store base. They know their physical store very well. They move categories and subcategories according to demand. They're able to stimulate and promote that category and that movement of stock through the marketing and advertising. Um, they're very good in that people space also of measuring their people. So they know average sales, items per sale, sales per square meter. They know profit. So they know all those pieces. Um, they're very good at really good stuff around customer service. So they, they're pretty customer centric. They know, their, they know their customer value. They're good at loyalty programs, for example. Uh, and they've built this business that makes them a little more sustainable. 
they're very good in their pricing strategy. They're able to have, you know, might be high-low pricing, it might be tiered pricing, very good in that regard. They're good in supply channels, so they understand uh, order shipments, minimum order quantities, they know when to replenish, they've got good systems. They're very data-driven increasingly, so they've got a good emotional brand, a good interdependent brand, if you like. They're very good with their people. They're great with customers. They keep customer data and loyalty. And then above or equally, they're very good in data. And they're very good at going out and reaching customers and finding new markets and addressing them. So it's a very active role. A fit retailer is a very active retailer. They're, they're working their stock, meeting their people, they're building their brand, they're out there driving loyalty and repeat visitation, and they're very close to the metrics. So I'm making them sound superhuman, but that's, that's the elite of the elite. And then everything else is a different stage of that accordingly. And the final thing about a fit retailer is they're replicable and they're scalable. And that's really key because that's what drives the value multiplier. So one of the things we work with clients is driving business value. And we're interestingly finding ourselves at a point in time where we've got quite a lot of generational change going on. So we've got a lot of you know, pharmacists and retailers who are thinking about driving the value of their business, what's their exit strategy, how they're going to sell for a multiple, how they're going to sell, who's their buyer. And that's increasingly happening. So being fit for business means you've got all these areas of just differentiation I've talked about and all these areas of replication and scalability. It's a very detailed response, Brian, because <laughs> <laughs> and setting a retail space up for success is sounding, as I listen to you speak, more and more like an art than a science or just a plug and play approach. It really does need a lot of attention. And I imagine that there is a, for want of a better phrase, a spectrum of success in terms of getting your retail strategy set up right. You just spoke about all the things that a business that is fit gets right and does well. What about the other end? What does it look like when things go wrong? How does it impact the business? It's the antithesis of everything I've said, I guess. I mean, it's a business that hasn't got a clear point of difference, hasn't got a particularly good focus, hasn't got good business information systems. People haven't got a sense of purpose, measurement, motivation, training. Stock's out of control. The business owner can't tell you what sales come from, what product, at what point, what place. Um, it's a business that is largely dependent on the owner. That's always a business that is problematic. It's a business that's not setting itself up to be scalable. Um, and it's a business that doesn't communicate to its market because it doesn't know its core market. It doesn't have good category mix and can't tell you precisely where the where the cash is coming from, if you like, or where the sales are coming from. So, Daniel, in that sense, it's a, it's the antithesis of everything I just started by saying on spit. So if you took that athletic parallel or analogy across, you'd say, well, super fit is in the Olympics and unfit is puffing around the park on the corner, I suppose. <laughs> well, Brian, putting yourself in the shoes of a pharmacist for a second who maybe ha doesn't have a lot of experience in retail and business management, absolutely fantastic pharmacist, but doesn't have a lot of experience in those other areas. Imagine you're about to start working with a new pharmacist, a new client. What aspects or areas are, are you looking to approve on initially and where do you start? Are there areas of 
focus that are usually offering some quick wins for clients? It depends on the initial consultation, I suppose, the diagnostic to use retail doctor terms. Um, I, I invariably have a bit of a look at the way stock is managed, funnily enough. I like because that's a big cost to a business. And if I want to get a if I want to help them get a quick win, it's typically in the area of how well is my inventory investment working. So let me give you an example, top of my head. A retail store might turn over of a pharmacy, just for the sake of the discussion, could be 400 square meters and might do $2 million in retail sales. Okay. Now, that's, what's that, $5,000 a square meter when we need them to get up around seven to eight to $10,000 a square meter. So suddenly I'm looking at the business going, that's interesting. They are 50% of where they could be. And then I start to look at, okay, that means that tells me that they've got a stock turn hypothetically of eight. Based on their mix, they should be at 10. They're over-investing in stock. They can reduce that and they help them do that. Or I look at the competitive situation. I look at their product. I look at their pricing. And I want to get a sense of sell-through stock turn. So that working capital is how to drive better performance out of the stock, I mean, to drive up to sales. And then it's all the steps literally working almost backwards around our point of difference, our competitive advantage, our pricing, our mix, our reporting, our people, and doing it that way. That's another way of doing it. You could start literally after so many years of doing this at any particular point. But the key things I want to know is, does this business have uniqueness? Is it spending? Is it, does it have good capability in its people around what we're asking them to do? I mean... Quite often you'll get into a pharmacy and you'll see that they don't have job descriptions around retail. You'll see that they don't have a good category mix report to tell me that, I don't know, um, vitamins are 10% of their mix, 7% of their space, and 15% of their sales. They might not have that reporting. They might, they might for example, um, not even have simple rent-to-sales reporting. There's a range of things. It's like anything that we invest in. Ultimately, we want to get a return. And so I look at those, we do, any of the consultants in the team, we look at all those return metrics, those levers, Daniel. But the very start of it, particularly if it's a pharmacy or a retail business that's struggling, is to understand the investment and the return they're making in various aspects of the business. It's interesting, Brian, because the world of pharmacy in it, we talk a lot about the benefits of pharmacists being able to work to their full professional scope so that they can incorporate a wider range of services into their practices. To that extent, so many pharmacies have really built up the allied health services aspects of their business that they provide. But that said, the Guild's Framework for Change sets out product review as one of the nine growth pathways. Now, these pathways are about long-term sustainability for pharmacy businesses and, and, and that incorporates the retail side and much more as well. How should pharmacies maybe be thinking about the kinds of products they sell? How do they understand what will sell and what will improve their brand in and their positioning in the long term? Well, I think it's you know incumbent on any business leader and pharmacist in that example to keep pretty well ahead of trends, know their local community, know their locals data around their community, ageing, maternity rates, whatever it might be, um, 
and really start to build a model that addresses directly where that where that offer can be. That, and it's quite interesting because I think that's one of the key areas. You're building a market, you're building a business that adapts to a market. And you really want to build on the back of what those demographics are and those census are and some of those other areas and start to build out a lot of what we've touched on today. The other thing I'd say, Daniel, is it's been said to me often, you, you can't build a business in any sector without great people. And so if you're a pharmacist and you don't have a working, really good working knowledge of retail, my advice is to get one, either through coaching through programs that, you know, such as we do, where you can learn what great, good, and not good retail looks like and where those offers fit, the economic return is and the brand return is. But you can't honestly employ a great retail manager unless you know the stuff yourself. But then it's about building great teams comes from employing great people. And once again, knowing the metrics of your business tells you the scope of what you can budget for. If, if we're running, you know, if we've got that four, I don't know, call it $2 million business and 80% of it is from scripts and 20% of it is from retail sales, we don't really have a retail business. We've got a warehouse attached to a dispensary. And it's about having the knowledge to really make that work. And some of those value-added services could be completely academic relevant to the primary and secondary markets that you're going after. So having a good retail manager makes a big difference, but you've got to know what you're asking them to do and you've got to know how to measure and lead that. If and when people do learn about the retail side of their business, their, their pharmacy, they might come across terms, and I know you use these, such as peeling off and talking store what, what do you mean by those and, and how are they relevant to a pharmacy setting uh, every retailer the marketing if you like and the way it's communicated and the look and feel is a promise when i walk past a pharmacist it's windows and it's layout are making a promise to me they're saying come in here and you will have a wonderful experience you'll be greeted by professionals uh you they'll be solution driven and you're going to love it so much, you won't go anywhere else. And then I walk into that pharmacy, I have peeled off. I have peeled off into from the mall walk or the street into the pharmacist. Yeah. And then the trick is to put product in danger of being sold. And literally, that's about, you just don't want me walking to the dispensary and back. You want me to be greeted by staff. You want me to be asked questions. You want me to be able to engage in a meaningful conversation with a trusted advisor. And from there, you want me to purchase not just one unit, but three units, all properly and, and authentically and all helping me towards a solution. Versus I walk in, it's a whole lot of walkways, aisles, no one comes to talk to me. Product looks morphous and bland. It looks exactly the same as I can get down the road. And the difference is, if if a pharmacist, for example, the discussion has one thousand customers a week, um, and let's just say for the hypothetical, they spend fifty dollars. What we want them to do is spend seventy dollars, 
and we want to measure that and we want to recognize great staff who've helped that happen. But the point also, I guess, on this too is a good retail manager knows that interrelationship between space, stock, sales, people, layout, promotion, category, and they're moving around like a chessboard all the time. Fashion retail, for example, changes its windows about 46 to 50 times a year because they know that the large majority of customers who walk past a shop or a mall at any given time are probably 80% the same people who walked past it a week ago. And if we're the same old, same old, dance of the living dead, stock's not moved around, doesn't look fresh, doesn't have the latest campaign or promotion, including service offer, um, we won't peel off, we'll just walk by. And then finally, good pharmacists see streams of people coming past the shop as one potential revenue stream or avenue. What about all those people out there who, for which the pharmacy needs to visit them? come to them in a meaningful way and that's increasingly happening clearly all of the things you have spoken about are going to have a really positive impact and outcome for a pharmacy business but there's lots of things that business owners know that they can and should be doing across lots of aspects of their businesses so the question for you is brian in your experience working with pharmacists and probably other businesses as well that are maybe a little bit similar what holds people back from achieving a lot of those positive things that you've been speaking about so far? Change management, negative belief patterns, time, effort, attitude. Attitude's a big one, right? I know, after all these years of doing it, we'll often get asked to come and look at a shopping centre, for example. Get asked to look at some retailers in a shopping centre through our performance business. And you know what our first question is? What is the attitude of the owner? If the attitude is, I've heard it all before, can't help me, all that stuff, we don't go to the business because there's nothing we've got in our power that's going to be stronger and louder probably than that mindset. But if we can work with someone, and this is true of any consultant who knows these businesses, if we can, if we can work with someone who goes, I wonder if there's a better way to do this. I wonder if I can make more money out of this. I wonder if I could sell this business one day, what the multiples would be. I wonder how, how do I do this? Or they start with the Simon Sinek why, you know, and they're, and they're asked, they're curious. I think the great, the great attribute of progressive leaders is curiosity. It's all there. I mean, 99% of improvement already exists within the four walls. It, it's not as external as people say. If, you know, inflation is an issue, review your product mix and review your pricing strategy. If trading hours is an issue, review that. But frankly, the vast majority is in the area you touched on today. A bit of an existential question for you, Brian. Some listeners might be wondering if they are doing enough in the way of retail in their store. From your perspective, why is it important to diversify the business and under what circumstances should pharmacists really spend some time considering increasing the retail side of their business? Because ultimately the history of prescriptions in the country around government support or rebates or all the various sort of economic models and measures do tend to fluctuate or historically they have. Um, at the end of the day, there's great opportunity to, to build good retail that Build sustainability, stickiness to customers, 
and much greater economic returns. And so, and if you can bring that in, you're also protecting your script business because you're building a business that's broader in its penetration, broader in its attractiveness. I mean, what's kind of interesting about this is if, if that example I gave you before, if a, if a pharmacist is only doing 20% of their sales in, in physical products, it's hardly worth having because by the time they stock it, staff it and do what have you, depending on the size, of course, on an average pharmacy, it's hardly worth having. So I guess our view with retail is there's a lot of money and a lot of benefit to be made when it's done well. And you're building a far more composite business accordingly. Otherwise, as we touched on, it just turns into a warehouse attached to a dispensary. And then you get priced off, you get picked off for price, and that's damaging to margin. So, Daniel, um, the question is, ultimately, why would you not do it if all those things can be achieved? Well, speaking of that question, when it comes down to it, there's still risk involved in all of this, either not changing or making a change, and business owners have to balance those risks up with the priorities of the business. What are the risks involved in maybe not getting the balance right between retail services and dispensing? Potentially, the range of risks. You you're, haven't created anything that's especially unique if it's only script dominant. It's largely undifferentiated. It's an expensive exercise to stock shops and not, and not manage them in the way we've talked about. It's an expensive exercise to staff retail stores that are unproductive. You know that example I gave you before, we talked about, you know, 200 square metres and a store turning over 5000 or $3,000 square metre. Well, a few things are constant. Rents rise, wages rise, costs rise, supply costs rise, inflation plays a part. All these things are costs of doing business. So you've got to have something to offset that. Otherwise, the thing that gets pressured is margin. Margin ultimately decreases to a point where it's not viable. So what's the best way to offset all these costs? Make more sales. What's the best way to make more sales? Do more retail. And so, you know, in that sense, it's perpetuating. Brian, as Christmas draws near, I'm mindful of what sort of tips you might be able to leave our listeners with that might help them plan a successful and multi-channel Christmas. I know there's not a lot of time left and you've spoken about so many great things and examples and reasons to be better, but are there any tips that people can take away from this conversation and maybe implement in the short term? Treat Christmas and the New Year as a specific campaign. Start to talk to your people about sales targets. Start to encourage them to approach and acknowledge customers within 30 seconds. Start to uh, really zero in on customer approach and acknowledgement time. Customers should be acknowledged within 30 seconds. Have startup meetings once every few days where you talk to the team about how you're going, business going for sales and what's happening in retail, what's doing well. As a pharmacist, be more visible on the retail sales floor. And then if you wanted to have a little uh, promotion for customers, who will then exchange their details for, for loyalty, for database, as you grow your database. 
So I think right now it's getting fairly late into it. And obviously have, if you can, and hopefully you've organised it by now, a couple of good differentiating specials that you've negotiated from suppliers that are relevant, pertinent to the market, and and speaking to a sort of differentiated position of yours. But I think now we're sort of at the 11th hour. It's a lot to do with understanding that retail mix. It's a lot to do with talking to the people. And it's a lot to do being very visible and talking sales. Brian, it's been a great chat having you on the show. It's been full of lots of practical advice and insights. If people want to learn more about what Retail Doctor does and how you can help them, what can they do? Where can they go? Thank you, Daniel. They can contact retaildoctor.com.au, make an inquiry, or there's business fitness at retaildoctor.com.au, or they can contact uh, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at retaildoctor.com.au. Outstanding. Brian Walker, CEO and founder of Retail Doctor, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with the listeners. Absolute pleasure, Daniel. Thank you for the opportunity, and I wish every one of your listeners a very successful Christmas and New Year. It's been an interesting show today and one that has offered a lot of food for thought and I thank Brian again for finding some time in his busy schedule to come on the show and share with us all. If what Brian spoke about resonates with you and you'd like some more support or help, please get in contact with Retail Doctor Group on the links that Brian mentioned just then at the end of our chat or simply visit guild.org.au for links in the show notes for this episode. I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and you've been listening to episode 111 of the PBCN Podcast. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.